Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Squiggly Careers podcast. I'm Helen Tupper. I'm one of the co-hosts of the podcast, but I'm not joined by Sarah for this episode. Instead, I'm going to be joined by Stephen Bartlett because this is one of our Ask the Experts special episodes. And the topic of our conversation is going to be adaptability. It's one of the skills that we think is hugely important to people and their careers right now. And Stephen is an amazing person to talk to about adaptability because it's really defined him, his life and his career, actually. If you don't know Stephen, he's the CEO of Social Chain, which is a global social media company. They're a listed company that in the last financial year turned over $200 million. They employ over 700 people. And Stephen runs a podcast, The Diary of a CEO, which has over 1 million downloads. He's got over 1.5 million followers on social media. Uh, His career and the growth of the organisation that he started when he was 21 is amazing, particularly in the context of someone that was expelled from school when he was 17 and dropped out of university and to top all of this this person that is thriving in the fast-moving world that is social media he's 27 so he's an amazing person to learn about how to really you know make adaptability practical what he's learned from being at the front end of that in his career that we can apply to our own careers So this episode, just like the others in our Ask the Expert series, is supported by the Booper UK Foundation. They're a charity whose purpose is to help people live longer, healthier and happier lives. And they do that through funding practical projects which have a positive impact on people's mental well-being. That includes things like wellbeing workshops for educators. They work with Mind to empower better mental health in young people and also through online resources and funding community mental well-being projects. And now on to my conversation with Stephen. So hello and welcome Stephen Bartlett to the Squiggly Careers podcast. Hiya, pleasure to be here. And I was reading a quote that you'd shared and it said, COVID-19 has been the truest test of nimbleness for companies and their leaders. How do you cultivate that nimbleness in yourself and in the people that work for you? So if I was to say there are three priorities or three things that define the success of any company adaptability and innovation and nimbleness and self-disruption and speed are definitely one topic within the top three and companies that don't have that don't demonstrate adaptability and speed and nimbleness despite their scale I bank heavily on them dying in the near future especially when you go through moments like we've gone through with the coronavirus pandemic the question I think you've asked is how do you foster that within an, within an organization? The first point is I think it comes from the top down because 
if it exists at the bottom of an organization and people are trying to be nimble, they will quickly be suppressed by bureaucracy and red tape and restrictions and decision making. So it has to start from the top. That's the first point. And then it's really a couple things. I'd say it's the mindset of the people at the top and their perspective. It's the philosophy of the overall organization. And it's also the incentives of the entire team and, and what you're incentivizing. And let me start with the, the mindset. When I tell you that I'm probably the most nimble, self-disruptive entrepreneur, innovator that you might speak to, I think that's probably true. And if you speak to my team, specifically the, the directors within my team, they will tell you how aggressive I am about self-disruption and my almost total disregard for what we have done yesterday and what we've done for the last couple of months, if I believe that the future is different and requires a different type of behavior. I am the force in our organization for change, aggressive, unapologetic change. I've exhibited that mindset my whole life, and that allowed me to create a philosophy in our organization, which I've had to tune over time as people have joined the organization. And that philosophy is that failure doesn't matter. The cost of us failing and the punishment per se. When I use the word punishment, I mean, you know, people can, you know, make a couple of words or make a couple of remarks or they can mark you down. There's various ways that people can punish you in an organization if you fail. It can even be a facial expression, right? The punishment for failure at social chain is almost non-existent. The punishment for not trying, the cost of not trying to innovate, to think of new ideas is high. And the reward for Thinking of a new idea or a new innovation or a new whatever it might be and then seeing it through is tremendously high. And what I'm saying is I don't care if we fail. I care that we tried and really we celebrate when we launch, not based on the outcome of the launch. And I think that creates a culture where you're getting people from idea to execution, but then you're not punishing them based on the outcome of the execution, which usually is outside of their control. And really, quite honestly, is something that no entrepreneur can really that accurately predict. If we tried 10 times, we might fail eight times, one time might be okay, and then one time might be defining. And that's typically the pattern I've seen. And then the other thing, which I think is super important, is how do you even get to the point where you execute as an organization? How do you even get from that idea to execution without someone being on annual leave, getting in the way, or getting lost on an email thread for 17 months because people are talking and discussing and picking it apart for points? And the way that, you know, and this is something I've had to learn over time, the way that I've done that is I come up with an idea, or the team will come up with an idea, will kind of throw it out to people for their, their general opinions. People will come back, they'll say, it'll never work, this is why it won't work, da 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 They'll add some things to it. From all of these opinions, we'll take a couple of points which we think are important, and then we'll reduce the team that work on that idea. No matter how big this idea is, it could be to launch the next Facebook, to about two to four people. And along the way, as we need extra people, we'll tag them in and out. One of the ways that you can guarantee you can kill adaptability and nimbleness and innovation in a company is get 20 people to work on a project and ask them all their opinion and try and do it in a very democratic way. This is how you kill great ideas and great innovation. If you look at the world's best books, right, they quite often become great movies. 
but blockbuster movies never become great books, right? <laughs> like Harry, like if 20 people had worked on Harry Potter, it never would have become a great blockbuster movie because it would have been full of cliches and, and convention and you wouldn't have had the, the brick wall that Harry Potter ran through on platform nine and three quarters. These ideas have to come from a singular perspective. And so that's kind of my typical approach. It's super undemocratic. Just being honest. I was about to say that, actually, because I was thinking the way that you describe it is almost like there's an adaptability outlier in the way that you positioned it. It's the leader. It's the leader that's the outlier. And they set the charge unapologetically and then gather people around them. Do you think that always has to be the case? Or do you think in organisations there can be a number of like adaptability outliers? It doesn't just have to sit at this one central point. Yes, but you need that adaptability outlier. So it doesn't need to run from me all the time because I don't know everything about everything. So Guy and our data team might come up with a great idea and then he is appointed that adaptability outlier and I will literally publicly make him responsible or her responsible for that data project. Roxanne at the moment is working on an innovation within our paid team and she is solely responsible for that. I don't want her to ask a million people about how the idea should be executed along the way. And this is one of the great contradictions of business because... Feedback is so unbelievably important from your customers when you've launched, you know, and all these things. But there are also moments where feedback can kill things and feedback can kill your chance of success. It can make your idea look exactly like convention. And it's just knowing the balance. Do you think there's ever a risk of adaptability burnout? That pace of change, is it exhilarating or is it exhausting? Or is it always a bit of a tipping point and how do you manage it? It is both at the same time. And it also depends on the character of the people you're referring to. Because in our organisation, I know that there are some people who quite literally enjoy the job the most because we're changing all the time and we're always working on these new projects and we've got some huge launches coming up of tech products we've probably at the moment i think paul told me the other day where there's eight different tech products within the company that we have eight different teams building right now which we're going to try and a lot of them will fail but even if one of them shows any glimmer of success it will quite literally define our company i also know individuals within our organization that get exhausted by that and that don't like change. And it tends to be the case, and this is a bit of a hypothesis, that people who have a greater sense of imposter syndrome typically don't like change as much because change risks your current position. And if you're not fully comfortable in your current position, expanding it or going beyond it seems like risk and uncertainty. And typically... People that have a greater sense of imposter syndrome, I find, in our organisation, struggle with change, rapid, uncertain change more than others. Do you think you can test for or spot adaptability so that you can find people that the environment that you're in, this particularly adaptable, fast-paced, highly dynamic environment, is the right place for them and they're the right person for you? I guess it's any ways that you ask questions or spot those people. So... Let's be honest, self-reporting interviews where someone describes their own qualities are, are largely useless. And the other thing is there's some roles within social chain where you, you don't care as much about adaptability, finance. When I'm looking for a, a finance manager within the company who's going to handle payroll, I'm not necessarily thinking about how adaptable they are and how conducive with innovation. And you know, But there are some roles where it's literally the number one prerequisite of getting that role. And in those examples, I'm not going to ask you if you think you're adaptable, because everyone's answer to that question is yes. I want to know a case study or two from your past where you've 
you've shown that you are adaptable and really understand all the dynamics of the organization you were in, the situation you were in, how you weighed up the risk reward in that scenario. And if I can understand how you think in the past and really now, then I can probably understand how you'll think in the future. And there's certain scenarios you can give where you can ask someone certain questions and get an idea of their thinking, really what you're looking for in their thinking, how they weigh up risk and reward. Because if they see change as being high risk all the time, really despite the circumstances, then the likelihood is they're not going to be the person that puts their hand up and says, you know, we need to change or I have an idea, even if that might cost us what we've always done. We always end our podcasts with best piece of career advice and it doesn't have to be related to adaptability. Of course it can be, but something that might have helped you that you know people are listening to can be inspired by, can take away to reflect on. I'm going to say two things. I'm going to say one thing that I always say, but the second thing is something that's just been at the forefront of my mind for the last, I'd say, three months. Um, so the first one's like a, a well-known quote where it says, those who think they can and those who think they can't are both usually right. From the background I came from, where I really had nothing, no education, no grades, no degree, bankrupt parents, the one thing that has put me here and has made me articulate in people's mind and has made me understand social media and has made me grow this business and has made me attain personal wealth is honestly, when I look at it and I look at it on paper, it's just this like unrelenting belief that I was able to. So when I first heard that quote, I was like, that is the truth. The truth is that if you believe you can, then you have this unbelievable way of just throwing unsurmountable objects out of your way and getting there. But if you believe you can't, then when you hit one of those obstacles, it reaffirms that you can't and you stop. And really, there was no reason why I could. There was nothing on paper that said Steve should, other than the fact that I was convinced I could. And the second thing is kind of relates to that. And it's actually inspired by a huge failing, reading a lot about the WeWork story and what's been happening there over the last couple of months. And the one thing that I have to give the founder credit for was the scale of your personal ambition is so unbelievably important. And everybody draws this circle around themselves. They think, right, my name is Steve, and this is how far I think I can go in my life. And we don't tend, typically, to go a lot further. We definitely don't tend to go much further, but we tend to go in and around that region. So one of the things I've been saying to myself a lot for the last six months, which has paid off in this unbelievable, almost magical way, is to take whatever ambitions I have and multiply them by 100. Sounds like a lot. But even if you get to like times three, it's staggering. And I, and I, every time I think of a new idea or I think of something I want to do, I multiply it by 100 and then I start working on that basis. It's just changed my life. So that was the last of our six-part Ask the Expert series. We really hope that you've enjoyed hearing all of our conversations with our guests. Don't forget that there are lots of those that you can go listen back to. So whether it's my conversation with Simon Sinek or maybe it's Sarah's conversation with Amy Edmondson about psychological safety, we've got lots there for you to learn about and apply in your career. And if you have enjoyed this series, please do rate and review or subscribe to the podcast for our future episodes. It makes a big difference to other people being able to find the Squiggly Careers podcast so we can help them with their career and we'll be back with you for our next episode next week bye everyone
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm. 